Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable unto you. Our rock, our redeemer, our friend, our mother, our father, our hope, our love. Help us to know your grace. And in the moments when we do not, to recover, to believe in resurrection, and to seek that grace out again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I have a good friend who uh, I know from high school, and he has always been a uh, great athlete. It's a big part of who he is. It's a big part of what he likes to do. He loves to get out on the court. He loves to run around. Um, they're big parts of his identity and big parts of what he loves. And we're not... Uh, aged, but we're also not 16 anymore. And as we have gotten older, um, I haven't found aging to be that hard, that frustrating, right? I'm, I'm more sort of excited every day. I feel a little bit less like I have no idea what's going on and a little bit more like I'll never have any idea what's going on and I'm getting okay with it. Um, but he has really found aging difficult and, and especially um, there have been a few days where all of a sudden he realized that there was just like a move he couldn't do anymore, right? Um, a pace he used to be able to run, uh, something he used to be able to do on the court that he can't do anymore, and it really, really frustrates him. <laughs> he can't take it that his body somehow um, could do things once upon a time that it is no longer capable of. I think he has this sense that in aging, his body has betrayed him somehow, has frustrated him, um, has not done what, it, what he had hoped it could do and what he had expected of it. And I, I think he's not the only one out there who's feeling this sense of betrayal and pain. All month we've been in a sermon series on bodies, on what our bodies are, on how we use them, on how we disciple ourselves in our bodies. And we started off by talking about our bodies as temples. How do we love and adore and worship them? We next went to bodies in interpersonal relationship, right? In sex and in intimacy and affection. How do we know God through our bodies? And then we talked about the body of Christ, the way that we hold each other up, the way that we lift each other. And all of that has been an effort to find some positive in the bodies that are... Um, dualistic tradition has so often encouraged us to reject, right? Your bodies are untrustworthy. Your body, you know, only be a spiritual being. We've been trying to put together this really positive vision of what it means to live in a body and what it means to love your body. But still, but still, no matter how positive we become, no matter how much we come to love the bodies that we have and believe that they can be forces of grace and mercy and strength no matter what in the universe and that they are gifts to us from God, all of us will encounter times when our bodies fail us utterly. Because we get sick. Because we break down. Because people we love die when we believe that it was not fair and it was not right. And there's no level of affection for our bodies, I think, that can keep us from those moments of frustration and pain, because it's hard to live in a world where we get sick, and it's hard to live in a world where we can't do everything and can't predict anything. And even at the day when we believe that our bodies are temples and gifts from God, we have to figure out, what are we going to do with this other part? 
What are we going to do with this frustration and this anger? Whether it's over impotence, infertility, your cold, your flu, your cancer, your Alzheimer's, or whatever other ways, your inability to run a mile at the pace you wish, that your body hasn't been what you hoped for. I see this um, in the story of the bleeding woman, um, the story of the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Um, and the thing that it doesn't say out loud, but that is a part of this story, is that not only has she been in physical distress, right? She has this probably pain is associated with that, definitely difficulty is associated with that, certainly weakness or tiredness. Um, but there's also a big social cost to what she's been experiencing. Um, when you are bleeding, you are not ritually pure. So you can't participate with your friends, with your culture, um, with your community in religious ritual. People won't necessarily have you over to their house. There are a lot of people who, if they want to go about their day, if they want to go to the temple, if they want to do what they've always done, are not allowed to touch you. So for 12 years, it's not just that she's been sick, it's that she's been deprived of wholeness in her community and of touch and of intimacy and of friendship and of knowing that she is of value and that her pain, as hard as it is, isn't the only thing that is happening to her. I imagine a few things about this woman. Um, one is that I bet that there were times when she was really, really angry. <laughs> really angry and frustrated. I would be, wouldn't you? And that's okay. <laughs> this is a place where we get confused about our chronic or our acute illnesses and pains. We think that we have to be strong through them. I've had so many people say that to me in pastoral care. Um, Pastor Hannah, I know I should be stronger than this. As if going to a hospital, as if having a problem, as if having something bad to you was a sign of weakness and not simply a sign that these bodies we live in aren't perfect and are going to sometimes fall apart. The reason that the woman had no touch, the reason that she had no community, was because her society believed the same thing, right? Um, that in some way, what we should do with sick or hurting people is contain them so that their sick and their hurt doesn't become a part of who we are, so that their sick and their hurts doesn't spread across the community. They have to be contained. They have to be separated because we're afraid that the reason why bad things happen to us is because we are bad or because we have come too close to folks who have had hard times. It's easy to look at that story and say, what an old way of thinking, right? Um, what, a, what an ancient, confused way of thinking about hurt, of thinking about sickness, of thinking about our bodies. Um, except that we do the same thing all the time today. Not only are there still young girls who can't go to school when they're on their period, right? Bleeding still has this difficult thing for us. Um, there are plenty of groups that we have made untouchable or that we have made other through the difficulties that their bodies have experienced. Just this week, we had a congressperson say that the reason that we don't need to provide health insurance is that people shouldn't be required to pay for people who have led bad lifestyles, eaten bad things, and gotten diabetes because of it, right? Few people are brave enough to say it out loud the way that he has, but I think a lot of us have that lie living inside of our minds 
that logic that the reason why we get sick, the reason why our bodies deteriorate, the reason why they fail us is because of something wrong that we or others have done and that it's something to be ashamed of. You might not even know that that's operating in you until you end up at the doctor's office and you realize that you're feeling a weight that isn't just the weight of what you're experiencing. It's the weight of something else too. I would say that it was all in the past, except within the last three decades, we did this exact same thing to people who were HIV positive and who had AIDS, right? We said that they were other, um, that they were unique, and we attempted to segregate and to deny and to deny health and to deny touch and to deny intimacy to a group of people based on something that was just happening inside of their bodies. We do this all the time. We do it to ourselves. We do it to each other. We do it in these communities. But Jesus invites us to think about our bodily frustration, our bodily weakness and deterioration in a different way. Not as something that is indicative of our soul's health or of what we've done right or wrong or of what our community has done right or wrong, but as simply a part of what it means to live in a body in a world where chaos is still operating where things do just happen, where sometimes things crumble at the edges and we can't get a hold of them, and yet, and yet, Jesus loves us and the community is here and touch is something that we can avail ourselves of. The disciples are shocked uh, when Jesus says, who touched me, right? Um, the, the woman comes up and grabs the hem of Jesus' garment, probably his tefillin or tzitzit, probably his like prayer um, uh, fringe coming from his coat. They're shocked when he says, who touched me? Because they think we're in a crowd of dozens and hundreds of people. Like, what do you mean who touched me? <laughs> Everyone is touching you. We're all touching each other. But he can tell the difference between a touch that is not intimate, a touch that is simply because we're crowding each other in, and a touch that says, I need something. <laughs> a touch that says, I'm hurting. A touch that says, I need healing. A touch that says, I'm here. He can tell the difference. He can tell the difference between the touch that is unthinking and the touch that is in need. And that second one, he honors and he sees and he says, I am here, who touched me. Your faith has made you well. There's a particularity to Jesus' love for this woman, to Jesus' love for each of us, that has nothing to do with whatever has frustrated us about our bodies or ourselves, that is particular and that sees us in the wholeness of who we are. But at the same time, as we can find some um, goodness some affection, some hope in that moment. I also find that moment really frustrating. <laughs> I also find that moment really frustrating because it makes me ask, well, then why can't we all just get healed of all of this crud today? <laughs> why does she get that? Why does she get that hope and that healing and that fixing and that resolution? And why doesn't it happen every day and every time and in every moment that we seek it and we want it? And if I had the answer, I'd write a thousand books and we'd all be okay tomorrow. <laughs> but I don't. I don't have the answer to why this chaotic world does continue to fall apart at the edges 
and why our cells continue to multiply too fast, or we find ourselves in positions we never thought we did, where there is harm heading for us and the ones that we love, where there are things that we hoped we would do that we find that we just won't be able to. But I do know that for the inevitability, for the inevitability that comes with this body frustration and failure, it doesn't have to feel like, we don't have to respond with, it doesn't have to be the way that it is now. We may say, okay, sickness happens. Unexpected things happen. Endless infertility happens. These things happen that we don't understand and we may never understand that cause us pain and challenge. But I don't think it has to be as painful as the world makes it. Because part of the pain when we experience those things, when we experience this frustration in the world, comes not just from what we are going through, from the surgeries or the doctor's appointments or the non-understanding. It comes from the fact that it's so hard to talk about it, and it's so hard to get that touch that we crave. I worked in a hospital as a chaplain for a little while, and there was a, a guy named Jerry um, who was not an easy man. <laughs> um, one of the things we often talked about as chaplains is that for most folks in a hospital, most of the people you interact with are doctors or nurses. They're people that you kind of need to be on your side, right? You need them to give you what you need. You need them to respect you. You need them to like you. And so um, in this time when you have no control, as our last song was saying, when you have no control and you don't know what comes next and you're kind of going mad, um, you, can't, you, you sometimes feel like you can't take that out on the doctors or the nurses. And so there are a lot of folks who, other people, chaplains, people who take out the garbage, anyone else who comes by the room, there's just like a lot of yelling and screaming towards that person, right? Because this is the one person I can yell at. This is the one person I can let out my control on. Um, and he was like that with almost everybody on the floor. Not an easy man. Um, he was like that with me. He was like that with others. The moment I walked in his door, he said, I don't believe in God. I don't know, what you're, I don't know why you're here. <laughs> and then he spoke for 20 minutes telling me his life story and didn't let me leave the room, right? He didn't believe in God, he didn't know why I was there, but he needed somebody. He needed somebody to talk to and somebody to be with. And, and after we had talked a couple of times, um, he had a significant sort of virulent infection throughout his body and things did not look good. He had been sick for a long time and um, it looked like he might be ending his days in the hospital. Um, he told me that the one thing that had helped, his feet were in a huge amount of pain. Um, was that the, when the nurse pressed on them to test how his legs were doing, how his feet were doing, they would feel a little bit better. They would feel a little bit better. But he didn't have any family, he didn't have any friends coming through. Um, and so he asked me if I could touch his feet um, just to see if it would make him feel better. And I said, of course. And, and our pastoral care sessions became not about answering the big question of why am I here? and why did this happen, and explain to me sickness, and explain to me God, because I was never going to be able to, and no one was ever going to be able to. <laughs> they became about um, foot massages, touching feet and no words, because when his feet got touched, his pain was relieved. And slowly over time, as we didn't talk, and I just would touch his feet, and he would be in less pain, he started to talk about the reason why none of his family and friends were there, and that it was because he had sort of been a suspicious um, person for a long time and, and had rejected a lot of them, and that actually he did have a brother 
who he thought might come, but he didn't want to reach out because they'd had such a big fight the last time they talked. Um, and I didn't say anything because I didn't have any answers and I didn't have anything to bring, but I kept touching his feet because he told me that it relieved his pain. Um, and a few days later, he called his brother. And they had this phone call and they reconciled and they um, had kind words and good ones. And I didn't know how to respond to that either because I didn't know the brother and I didn't know him, but I kept touching his feet because it relieved his pain. Um, and a few days later, I came by to visit and he had died. And I still think about him a lot. I hold him in my heart. I, I figure, um, I hope other people do, but just in case, right? I'll be the person who brings on his memory. Um, but he taught me a lot. <laughs> and he taught me a lot, I think, because we spend so much time looking for clear answers, looking for explanations. And explanations only lead us down the path of blaming ourselves or blaming others for things that are inexplicable and are unfair and have been from the day that the first psalmist wrote, oh Lord, oh God, why are things this way? <laughs> Explain it. They've been that way forever. They'll be that way for years, and yet we spend so much time trying to find the answer. We forget about the immediate answers of community and pain alleviation and touch that we can do. We spend so much time trying to figure out the part that hurts the part that frustrates us, the part that's never going to make sense, that we forget about the things that we can do for each other. I can't tell you the number of people. Um, I may have, Doing funerals, I may have gotten a little too comfortable talking about death. I realized at one point um, my nephew, who was three, asked me uh, where I was going the next day. And I said, oh, a friend of mine died. I'm going to his funeral. And we started talking about my dead friend. And I realized, oh, I have no idea if his parents are OK with this. Um, but the blessing of that, right, like, I, maybe I should be less specific. Um, but, but I have, on purpose, brought Annabelle to as many funerals as I can. I bring her to sick beds when I can. Because I think something that we've lost is our ability to be there for each other because we're afraid that talking about it is what makes it happen. Or that talking about it is what makes people hurt or that talking about it is what makes people grieve, when in fact, it's not talking about it that is the worst possible thing we could actually do. It's not showing up for each other. It's not admitting that it sucks. That hurts much more than admitting it out loud. We've gotten so scared by our inability to explain what is happening to us that we've given up on being there for each other and what is happening to us in saying, this is happening to my uncle, or this is happening to me. Imagine, here's one way in which Jesus' community was better than ours. If there was someone at your work who had been hemorrhaging for years, which can happen, right? Women can experience on and off bleeding, all sorts of folks um, can experience uh, bleeding on and off for years. Can you imagine in a thousand years that they would tell you, unless they were your most intimate friend, and even then? We've cut people off from being able to talk about their pain, from being able to ask us for our touch, which in the absence of explanation are the things that are left to us, and the Jesus Christ who lived in a body and who knew what it was for it to be frustrated. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be thirsty and yet have vinegar given to you and ask God for help and how challenging that situation is. Jesus knew that pain, and yet we've cut ourselves off from so many sources of alleviating that pain 
because we are afraid to acknowledge the extent to which we don't understand what is happening. This story, the story of the bleeding woman who finds healing in Jesus, some forms of healing that we may not find today, where our physical problems are immediately solved, although some of us do, miracles happen, we do maintain hope, but also forms of healing that are available to us today. Love, noticing, being seen, being a part of a group. This story is sandwiched right in the middle of another healing story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, who has a 12-year-old daughter who is sick and on her deathbed. And he asks Jesus to come and heal her at great cost because Jesus is not, uh, does not have a great reputation within the religious authorities. And she's 12 years old. And it says that the woman has been bleeding for 12 years. And commentator upon commentator has tried to figure out like what the magic 12 thing is. Why 12? Is it the number of the apostles? Is it to emphasize how long our struggles can go on before we see hope inside of them? Um, and nobody really knows for sure. Um, but one of the things that I think about is how often we experience this uh, difficulty, right? That at 12, is when puberty happens, and often that's when most of us start to experience this sense of what is my body doing to me for the very first time. That 12 years is a length of time um, that brings home to us how long we may struggle without uh, finding hope or joy. But the big thing, I think, that I have found in no commentaries, and maybe it's because so many of them were written by cis straight dudes, <laughs> is what if she's the girl's mother? What if she's the girl's mother? What if for 12 years since she gave birth to this girl, she has been bleeding since the girl was born and in that very physical um, illness that she has experienced, she has been separated from her family and from her community. And on the day that Jesus heals her, it's not just that he heals both of these women physically, it's that he heals their entire family and he heals their entire town because he shows them the ways in which what has happened to her is not her fault. It's not something to be avoided. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something to talk quietly about in the next room. It's something to be faced because in facing it, we face whole human beings who touch can heal and who touch can offer hope to. There are aspects of the healings that are never gonna make sense to me. I've seen people healed of things that I never thought they would be, and I've seen people be sick who didn't deserve it. I'm never gonna come up with an answer for why that happens. I don't think any of us will, and I think if we pretend to, we're lying. But what I have seen is ways in which in our sickness and in our grief and in our partialness and in our pain, we meet each other. We meet each other with touch and with love and with hope and with God and with the freedom to be angry if we're angry and the freedom to be confused if we're confused and the freedom to be okay with it if we're okay with it and to say that contrary to popular belief, <laughs> these things don't happen to us because sickness, badness, and pain are infectious and you must avoid them in others at all cost. They happen to us just because. And the thing that does spread, the thing that can be spread from person to person as it was in the touch of Jesus, is not our pain, but is the alleviation of it, is the love that can meet us in the midst of it, is the hope that can meet us in the midst of it, 
And I believe in that because I felt it, even when I thought it may never come again. There's a lot about our bodies that we're never gonna understand. <laughs> but there's a lot about meeting each other in bodies, with touch and with love and with care, that we have experienced and so we can experience again. And so we can offer to one another. And so we can say to one another, that sucks. <laughs> and I'm here for you. Here's a meal. Here's some babysitting. Here's watching a dumb movie with you and sitting next to you on the couch and holding your knee or holding your hand or stroking your hair. Because I know too, <laughs> it's hard. And yet there are paths. There are paths for us to move forward, and Jesus has shown us every single one. It was never promised that life would be easy, but it was promised that we would do it together. And so I encourage us to ask for that help when we need it, to offer it even if we think it might be weird or awkward, because a lot is happening to all of us, and we could use each other, and we could use each other's touch, and we could use God's touch in everything in this nonsense world that we are just trying to figure out together. So let's go forward and do that. In Jesus' name, amen.